yeah if you were to do like archaeological work on on the wood there's just so much more that you can find and, and so many worlds that could open up it was a good tip and an email at the same time <laughs> that's how you do that <laughs> wait how is that possible you know how is this an, an understanding of culture and the way things intersect the way things and so yes it is about fragmentation but it is also about interaction hey everyone i'm paida um one of your hosts for the art meets podcast and i'm precious mohone your other host Welcome to today's episode. Um, today we're joined by Tammy Langtree, Kochelwa Mashika, and Precious, who just introduced herself. And today we are asking ourselves, what is the relationship to the self and African concepts of being a numinous? Also, how are you a hotep and an emo at the same time? And who is the boogeyman to you? And when did you clock your blackness? And we're doing all of this while asking ourselves, ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally fumbled. We can redo that bit. And we are doing all this while musing on the word of the day, Karenology. Hey. Hey, Karen. Hey, how are you doing, Karen? Nope. <laughs> that's that's terrible. I feel like um, not everybody's a Karen, but people have I Karen mean, tendencies. Who's our audience? I'm sure we have some Karens in our audience. <laughs> uh, recovering Karens? Probably. I feel like that's a thing. You can be a recovering Karen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Before we like get too deep into the Karenology of it all, let's first begin with um, an excerpt from Ashile Mbembe at the Radical Solidarity Summit 2020, which was held um, by Zeitz Mokka Museum in Cape Town, uh, where he basically shares some of his thoughts on African migration, space and becoming. Malik, the the way I see it is that historically, Uh, when when we read the history of our continent, the history of our continent, the ways in which we we formed societies, the ways in which we we made culture, uh, the artifacts we produced, the forms of uh, social belonging, uh, forms of economic life. Um, I don't mean they were the same everywhere, but there were major dynamics which were articulated around movement or what we call nowadays mobility. Mobility was at the center of everything. In fact, contrary to uh, conceptions of space, let's say in Europe and elsewhere, um, movement is that which created space and territories. It was not the other way around. We bought into the other paradigm in which space creates mobility or allows for mobility with the advent of colonialism. We had an entirely different paradigm of the relationship between mobility and space. If we had spaces at all, they were always mobile spaces. If we had borders at all, they were always porous borders. Long distance interactions, at least in West Africa, uh, were absolutely the basic foundation of everything. And 
People have not forgotten about it. There's still a long memory of that. Colonialism didn't erase everything. It bombarded everything and turned everything into fragments. And what people are doing, and we learn it from your own work, is how to assemble constantly all these fragments, put them together in order to re-engineer uh, agency. Um, and, 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 and this being the case, um, questions of identity, which were raised early on by Koyo, are not as dramatic as they, they may sound. Because, because uh, let's say, in African traditional pre-colonial systems of thought, relation is much more important than ontology. Mm -hmm. People don't ask who I am. People ask, who am I related to? What is it that I may become? Mm -hmm. So the key antagonism uh, has to do with this question of becoming and the struggles around becoming. That's how I see it. It's not about identity. Um, that's that's my, 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 my quarrel with identity politics, if you want, but we shouldn't be bringing it here. So basically that was from the Solidarity Summit and someone had asked the question, how do notions of becoming an identity relate to like to Africa and the continent? Oh, I thought you were going to say something, Tammy, sorry. I, I do, but I don't want to read it. You said it, like you said it. I, 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 I completely agree with you in the sense of mobility being... Um, a description of how identity, how identity is experienced, not the way it's formed, but the way identity is experienced. And um, I don't know, I've been, have, I've had this conversation a few times with Paul and it's part of like some of my research around self identity and making sense of being um, on the land that I'm in uh -huh. is ideas of Creole identities, which obviously we relate to language, but you know, how is this an, an understanding of culture and the way things intersect, the way things, and so yes, it is about fragmentation, but it is also about interaction. I, I think there's a, a point in that little excerpt or that clip where he says something about how, um, like through mobility, can you understand time and space? So um, this idea that like one does not function or exist without the other in a way, or, or that one defines the other. So if we think about the continent pre-colonialism, the notion of, of borders being porous or even non-existing uh, began to define a space. Like in my mind, I always like imagine or I think of the Malawi-Tanzanian border, right? Like there's an actual physical one that exists. You get there, there's checkpoints, there's no man's land. And literally 5K away from that in Chitipa is a little stream and people just cross it. You know what I mean? And like people need to go to the market in the Malawi side. So they come over, they sell their little Tanzanian bits and bobs, get mm -hmm. some airtime, go back, vice versa. And, and I'm always like fascinated by on the one hand, there's this a little stream and people just freely moving. And on the other, the notion of needing a passport to identify and define your Africanness or your sense mm -hmm. of place or tribe based on a little booklet versus not needing to do any of those things. So um, yeah, it's something that I'm always thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking about um, self-fashioning. You know, um, this notion of 
becoming and how is it's so fluid you know also if you go back to identity how it's even your identity is not like a kind of a definitive one but it's 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 kind of multi-layered and constantly changing um Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, those are the effects of, of mobility, having to move to one space and, and yeah. So yeah, yeah I was kind yeah. of thinking about that. And, and you mentioned um, uh, Samuel, uh, you know, Samuel the Foster, yeah. and, and I was just, that for me, it's kind of self-fashioning how he kind of using this kind of colonial stereotypes of, of being, but then in a kind of contemporary um, Africa. And what does that mean like for each person? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess also another question I had was, you know, like in the moments where we are, where identity politics has become such a like, either like a buzzword, either like negative or bad, or like a kind of, this is this is these are my people and that's it um and I always wonder how does identity operate maybe in like a social political space where you do find that like identities have to group together sometimes to to create like action or to oppose something and then Mm. I mean like are, are those spaces necessary in the way they are or are they like the way they can be more like malleable part of it is not just like the identity coming from the individual people or group but then also how maybe there's a certain kind of perception or projection that get that gets put onto individuals or groups you know yeah I mean I don't know if I'm answering your question or if I'm just not going to add some more some things to think about (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't call it spice, but just like when you were talking just then and, and, and the thing that, that stuck out was the idea of like perception, right, of identity. Mm-hmm. And I think like just to kind of bring it back to like existentialism and Ubuntu, right, like these somewhat opposing notions of, you know, like individualism versus collectivism thinking about collective identity and how you want to be perceived as an individual and how for us, I think as Africans, that's a Ish, guys, listen, I was just saying like being African in terms of how the notion of identity is quite burdensome because Mm -hmm. the way we perceive ourselves and then the way the world perceives us is constantly in conflict, perceives us, perceive ourselves collectively, perceives ourselves, perceive ourselves as individuals, and then how everyone perceives that because I mean, you know, what's the stereotype? African babies with flies and, you know, or slums or safaris or whatever else. Um, versus how we see ourselves. And then I think of like the contemporary and we think about photography. I know you mentioned Samuel Fosso, but also Malik Sidibe, the idea of of having to like talk about or photograph or document modernity, like the Africa modern and and how we were these really beautiful, complex Mm -hmm. people. So I'm always thinking about that, like the intersection, not only of these different groups, but also exterior perceptions of that. And then also us as individuals trying to also find out what we won't do, but also wanting to be singular, yeah. you know, and, and how those things can sometimes not intersect or be in conflict. So I guess hmm. I'm saying, imagine like these little circles, these concentric circles kind of overlapping in different points. And then what sits in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. can something sit in the middle? Is that individual in the middle, you know, so. Yeah, I didn't answer your question, but that's just what you made me think mm. of just then. 
Yeah, no, I like the way you put it off, like thinking of concentric circles and then like what's in the middle. When I think of like the concept of Ubuntu, which is, you know, as we all know, it's basically a person is a person through other people. And this is also what Ashil kind of alludes to in the end of the quote when he's like, Africans always, they use them, what he said something about African relate, like relation, we relate to each other. So people won't ask you who you are, but then like more like, who are you to me kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, there are such deep networks like even within southern Africa or like the fact that we use totems and the totems are really similar um, in a lot of spaces and that you don't ask, and I think totems don't it's not necessarily always like a blood relation like you can be like completely different biologically but then you have this like totem that still frames you as being of the same kind of group of people mm-hmm. I was thinking now about that point that you said about who are you in relation to me? And I guess in asking that question, we ask by asking about you in relation to me is asking what happened to me. If I, if I speak to you, I understand me because I, underst- I hear mm-hmm. you or I speak to you. Um, and so I thought about when Precious was talking about those concentric circles, what is at the center, but almost is, what happens in the overlap or what happens in the like the feedback or the connection point and expansion um I don't know if that's an answer even but I just thought of the phrase what in asking about the others asking what happened to me to get to know you is asking or answering what happened to me and also just to the point of Ubuntu I think for me Um, Yesterday I was listening to a read and they were talking about uh, indigenous cultures, you know, um, but particularly looking at the Basutu group, you know, and their rituals and all that. Um, And the doctor was saying that, um, you know, before people, we didn't have this kind of names or division or ethnic groups, you know, we're just the people, you know, who lived in this region, you know, and we practice a certain rituals. Um, and it's these rituals that kind of brought us together. And I feel like even Ubuntu for me, it's not just a phrase um, or a concept, but it's it's a way of, of being, you know, it's a way, it's that thing when you, somebody from another, I don't know, like it's just having to, maybe just to kind of like simplified for myself as well is that it's when we greet like in Sikosa we say Molweni you know and I got to understand that even if I'm greeting precious you know um or like a one person I'm gonna use sort of like a, a plural um you know greeting to say because I'm not just recognizing I suppose it goes back to you know who am I to you? Um, you know what clan you come from. Instead of asking who are you, you know that kind of a thing. So yeah, it was just to for me Ubuntu. It's very rooted in our way of being and um, and socializing with ourselves. But also there is a pressure now. Um, I think in our contemporary society, especially as 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 African people, of of being individuals. You know. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I was I was just like thinking about this notion of we've never kind of identified or name ourselves as um, I'm Tosa or I'm Betty, uh, but we were just like people who had to live right. together in one region. But because of colonialism, again, this you know there were like now structures, there were 
there were boundaries, there were borders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was kind of separation of, of, of people, basically. I almost see it like this, this is when identity becomes political. I mean, that's not to say humans have never, um, you know, had questions with each other in terms of relations and how do we do things and, you know, community. But for me, that's, that's where identity becomes political, becomes weaponized, it becomes mm. um, signifiers in a specific kind of way. Is there a, like a definition of identity? Like, I, I don't know, that's just, as you're talking, I just keep going back to what, what are the definitions that are out there um, of identity? Um, kind of scholarly, um, or even not, even outside the, you know, <laughs> the outside um, academia. Outside um, the academic um, realms. Like what are what are the definitions that we have? Because I I mean I was speaking to to one of the artists um, and she was talking talking about how she gets to collect you know objects for for her work. It's um, her name is um, Stephanie Conradi. Um, she does this prints and then she puts the assemblage on top. Like the assemblage uh, would be any kind of ornamental um you know kind of decorative elements that somehow every black and 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 um oh, and I don't want to use this term I um current community or household would have you know those kind of Chinese vases um you've seen her work right and mm-hmm. she was telling her work she would collect those objects as far as i mean she's in Stellenbosch as far as Athlone her parents are in, are in um what's this place um fishwalk but she would go in different places basically to collect this object and as she was speaking i, I was i was thinking about entanglement you know how you know as you get something from Athlone it's got its own history um kind of regional history or, or communal or community yeah communal history and then you're bringing it into your space um and and then and then she was saying sometimes i put them in my cupboard and they collect dust and i was thinking the dust for me was um like a metaphor for any kind of narrative or some kind of like because I never believe that a space is is neutral. Like even your own home, there's some sort of like um, agendas that are at at play, you know. Um, um, so I was just thinking about you know the the dust as some sort of like the this now this object is kind of acquired a different um, history or narrative, you know. So no, it's no longer about Athlone or official but now there's like Stellenbosch there's also you know the artist um narrative imposed on this I was just thinking about entangled identities <laughs> you know right. uh, as as a way of just like trying to understand this becoming you know this being um it's just it's no longer just pure it's not just one narrative of who we are but there's like a lot of narratives that constitute to who we are right now. But I suppose there's also a need to going back to 
because I'm always curious about, I think actually for me, represent that person who's, who's curious about pre-colonial Africa and, and trying to kind of, you know, construct histories or construct this kind of pre-colonial um, Africa and, and, and our rituals, our cultures, our identities, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I'm just always curious about what, you know, the, that kind of life where maybe identity was simple it was just the people. There was no identity. It's just like we are the people. And we do get people who are coming from other regions and we accept them because, you know, like as I was saying, that Molweni for us is not acknowledging the person in front of you, but the invisible people as well, right? Um, and also just acknowledging the clan, you know. Uh, so you can't acknowledging like a lineage of, of um, like that person's lineage, that person's um, ancestors, you know, whether they are alive or not. So it's it's like we're acknowledging the entire community, basically, if you were to like trace, if a person were to trace their lineages. Um, well, I guess yeah. I, I like what you're talking about, like this kind of entanglement of identities, but also like this accumulation of histories and identities that's you know, that's material, materially physical, but also, mm. also not material, materially physical. And mm. also, I think maybe that's a, an interesting point as well about this kind of, I mean, this notion of like thinking about pre-colonial Africa, like what were they doing? What were they chilling? Like was identity <laughs> really, was it really that simple and easy? Um, and, you know, like the, this project again of like going back to recover this these ideas. What does that tell us about us in the present? Like, I think so. One of the things I think maybe, um, for example, like, like again, like let's take someone like Zanelli Moholi's photographs, who's like mm -hmm. documenting queer communities. But then, how there's always this narrative that queerness was never part of Africa. But then you have to then you have to like go back and do like the archaeological archaeological mm. work of like finding mm. the queer narrative and you realize oh this is actually was even pre-colonial Africa this was like mm. part of like of Africa and so you have that as like evidence and it like you can be like well no you're wrong bitch this was part of our history <laughs> this is like this has always been there so I understand like this project of like thinking about pre-colonialism as a way to also I mean it it informs us in the in a particular way sometimes for example like um what I just said but then I'm also wondering like in what other ways does it inform our present I mean like what are the parts or aspects maybe that need this kind of project of recovery mm. like I'm almost just asking like at what at how far how far back and like what is important is it all yeah. important like what is you know I don't know, is it even possible to actually um, know or maybe, I don't want to say, kind of reconstruct um, this kind of pre-colonial state, pre-colonial Africa, you know. Um, but I know every time somebody would kind of like allude to that, I get excited because I feel like this should be part of the um the grand narrative of of our history um of our 
as we are in the journey to basically know who we are and the journey to identify ourselves. But also, I think for me, with our times, I suppose, with, with colon, colonialism and, and right now, it's just, and thinking about this kind of pre-colonial Africa, I feel like the naming of, of things, like the naming that you you queer, um, <laughs> um, those terms and phrases that we use, perhaps sometimes they, they limit us to see uh, to a point where we don't, we can say, that you know um homosexuality didn't exist in or it's, it's, it doesn't exist in africa you know um i don't know if i'm making sense but yeah so just to go back to your point like yeah i'm just wondering then if if we can actually recover or or know about pre pre-colonial are you basically it's sort of like a like, like the language that we use in today, even though these, these ways of life would have existed, the language around them was completely different, was a yeah. completely different yeah. orienting that like what queer yeah. means today doesn't mm, necessarily yeah. mean it was it's the same thing. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm with you 100% and, and that, you know, queer was there, like homosexuality was something that was there, it was part of, us was part of who we are it was just an everyday thing that it was never just like spoken maybe this is my rationale that perhaps it was never like publicly spoken of um it was just it's just one of the things that were there and and they were okay and you know like um I'm now reminded of of the conversation Timmy and I were having with Kyle and how some of the things, you know, the rituals that at at our homes, we are told to do certain things because, you know, they're part of our culture, that kind of a thing. But when you yeah. ask your parents yeah. why, they're like, oh, no, we don't know. You know, we were told this is how things are done, you know. So I'm just saying the language, even for me, like this language is, I mean, when it comes to words in the Sikosa, and you translate them into English, they, they completely lose the, the essence, you know, the weight mm -hmm. of that word. And, and I feel like when I, when I say them in English, they feel superficial. They don't, they don't carry the same weight. Um, and I would say like agency as I will, you know, in, 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 in Kosa or in any other languages, actually, you know, there's words that are just beautiful and and now we're all just in the process of just taking everything from ink, you know, from our um, indigenous languages into yeah. into now English, you know, and and we don't realize that there's so much history, even on that, just around the word itself. There's so much history that one can and and you know, yeah. If you were to do like archaeological work on on the word. There's just so much more that you can find mm -hmm. and, and so many worlds that could open up. Um, but because of English, it just strips away all that beauty, all that essence, you know, all that yeah. life, yeah. you know. 
I, in some ways, I want to go back to this. I, like your one of your initial questions was like identity and what what is this definition of identity? And and for me, it's identifying identifiers. It's mm. it's language, experiences, reality that you can that you can say you've touched. Whether that's mm. touched through feeling, touched through language, touched through someone else. For me, identity is is that and and. If I think about it, then identity is one of the deepest and most complex experiences, like the same way they study science and there's all these tables and chemical reactions and like things that, that have their own um, constituency. They also interact with each other and create new things. And for me, that's, that's how I may be seeing identity. And so for me, identity is one of the richest like things ever. It has so much depth, meaning, uh, weight, um, in, in how we express it and how we think about it. And I, th I think there was something that was said earlier about like kind of the context of how you approach identity. Is it about observing yourself on the inside or observing yourself on the outside? Um, and I think maybe just to now jump onto something else, I think the idea I was gonna say earlier, Africa's always been queer. And there, I know there was a period when queer was a bad word. Um, so there are generations of people who don't like that word. Um, I, and I guess language will, especially in English, where stigma and uh, politics and um, things like that might fight against language or contextualize language in specific ways. But mm -hmm. in this instance, for me, queering is a, it's not estranging, but it is a complicating, is a making different, making more. Um, if, if I think of queer in the reaction to anything, it's heteronormativity, which is one form that the world is expressed in, where queering is saying there's multiple, there's never ending. Like if you can think of the complexity of emotion where we've sometimes like limited our expression of emotion to like five or six feelings, queering would be experiencing the entire range. Like you said, a palette, like it would be literally your palette is endless. Like there is nothing not on that palette that you can't, it's just, how do you identify it? How do you pick up that color? How do you differentiate between a blue, black and a purple blue? It's for me, that's kind of where the nuances come in queer. And when you think about queering is that it's a multitude um, and it's not an assumption of one or the other. Um, so then for me, it's like this thing of how do we go from expression to transmitting, where for me is expression is a feeling. I'm feeling this, I'm experiencing this, where transmitting is just, I need to tell you this information. You yeah. need to get this information, um, which does, like you say in English, like diminish expression, diminish intention, um, or tra tra like transmute it in some ways. Um, but I loved what you said about the archeology span of the word or on the word. Um, just as like, yeah, a final thing to say, I love what you said about the archaeology on the word, which I mean, I think you've mentioned archaeology can be a very uh, scientific and problematic uh, political thing. Um, but I like the image that it constructed. Um, yeah. Deep in this, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So deep. Just um, out here. Mm all the thoughts I also like what yeah. you said about like archaeology of the word like um because I also think about like I think in so like in Shana for example which is uh spoken in the region that is known as Zimbabwe 
but it's like an it's like a okay there's no like the terms she and she and her he and him like when you speak to people like you don't use those pronouns like there's always like it's already a given like you can the the best translation of it of it it's probably it's already they or them like there there is gender right in our language but there are other ways of describing gender but like there's no for whatever reason there's no these specific pronouns don't really exist in the language um so yeah there's also something there like I think maybe that also points to like this kind of archaeology we're talking about about I mean about like you know finding the word um and and maybe yeah looking at these different forms of how people were identifying or living and yeah I mean the, the impact of I mean and like I think maybe the impact of how that changed like you know once we did once colonialism happened and then there was like a very strict gender line created and there was like a very strict mm. like gender binary created um and created to like differentiate between civilized and uncivilized groups of people I guess um mm. So yeah, I know it's like yeah, it's it's interesting when you do like the archaeological dig. Yeah, I like what you said about. Um, I guess I like the amalgamation of of Tammy's Africa has always been queer. I quote, I put that in quotation marks and I wrote it down. Um, and what you're saying, um, Leonor, about yeah, in 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 Shana, or I guess in a lot of African languages, like the notion of gender doesn't exist in how we speak to each other. It's it's like it's a it's a given or it's just understood that it's they or them and I, and I don't know if you guys see it but I always find like when I'm speaking to people and they have to speak in English they get they struggle to be like oh, she I mean him and it seems like such an exasperation of why are we doing this like, people are legit like yeah I was talking to him I mean her and it's just like yeah it's I, I this notion of nomenclature and like the idea of having to put things in specific categories is is the opposite, I think, of, 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 of what we are here in the sense of borders, if you want to go back to a shield and speaking through that, through gender, and then to kind of think through the, the whole idea of what I called concentric circles before, you know, like maybe it is about that overlap and that intersection and not a specific definitive thing when it comes to what is identity, what is Africanness, what is humaning as an African, you know, and I think I think that's where a lot of these conversations then start to exist is because we are subconsciously trying to understand that, you know, perhaps in a pre-colonial headspace, those things weren't necessary. But now because we exist in this heteronormative post-colonial globalized sphere where you have to put things in boxes, we're constantly coming back to these types of conversations of, of I think knowing to our core that like, this is not who we are in terms of how we see and move through the world, you know, going back to the word mobility and space and how those things relate. And if anything, it almost, it boxes us, not even almost, it boxes us. And we're trying to figure out how to be unboxed, I guess, but also how to like be able to step in and out of the box if we want to, because I think that's also part of choice is to say, if I need to live within certain constructs and certain parts of my identity, because it should be fluid and, and you know, multi, um, 
can I do that? Or do I have to fully reject? And I don't know, maybe it's a question we can ask, like, is it possible to fully reject all of these ideologies or all of these constructs? I read, I read something on creolization or the title of the paper was Negritude as Creolization. And the, the writer was talking about, I forget, Diane, I forget, Diane, something like that was the writer, um, but I'll find the, the title, the name for you. But um, he was saying something to the effect, he was kind of gathering all these um, uh, intellectuals and writers around the negritude movement. And one of the things he pulled out of that or lifted out of that, and especially thinking about negritude in contrast to um, uh, not Eurocentrism, but like the West, you know, North, North, the global North, um, but what he was saying is that if negritude is expression, then uh, the global north is enlightenment. And I think about this idea of the becoming as this um, um, expression. So if we think about it as the fragments, the journey, the process, the engagement, the stories that become collective in some way, never complete collective, but building collective, um, whereas enlightenment is about truth and reason. And then I think about like the finality, like, because if you have truth, you have what, it, what seems to be final or what mm -hmm. seems to be the end of something. Um, whereas this feels like more like a continuum, like a continuous thing and, you know, a constant building, a constant defining, you never settled in one place or one experience. And it kind of, for me, makes me think of what you were saying now, Leona, about like, sitting in that finality of self and of the world and experiencing then like what seems to be ever shifting or, evolving or, or just something that cannot be boxed or defined or like I don't know I have a very difficult relationship with a box because you know this is how they do um, uh, classifiers or identifiers in South Africa um, so it's just a really tricky thing to deal with a box um, but I think about this tension between expression and um, reason, I think was the word that he used, reason. I want to then, I guess, pose a question back about where then do existentialism and Ubuntu sit with each other if you want to then reject the box? Or if you, you know what I mean? Like, because I think that's the thing we are, you know, we, we understand Ubuntu, but we also understand there's like blackness, this, this feeling of connectedness and, and sharing in the black experience and Pan-Africanism and we have each other's back and, you know, you know, God forbid anyone says a bad word about a black person, even if they're wrong, because we want to like, we can't be looking bad, you know, like the people <laughs> out here still fighting to save R. Kelly. I don't know why there I said it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying though like no but you know what I mean like people uh, be out yeah, here yeah, wanting that. to like preserve the collective blackness Purity. because you know like nobody yeah. can say a thing about us unless mm -hmm. it's us in our quiet spaces mm. <laughs> <laughs> but then that's the thing that's the there's like there's you know a like we don't of... embarrass each other like don't air your dirty laundry all these expressions right <laughs> so yes the like well, there's that the which to me yeah. is is part of the thing. you know what I'm saying because and then there's just existentialism and being an individual and going, Aish, I'm a person, I'm in this world, I'm just trying to move through it and get through to the other side, be it truth, be it reason, or just death, whatever the case may be, because it's all maybe meaningless. So I'm just trying to move as I move. How do you then reconcile that Ubuntu and just existentialism, being a person, being an individual, but also we have this 
you know, togetherness that we have. Like, that is some real exhausting shit, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah. But is, it, is it even productive to put them parallel to each other? See, it might not be productive, but I think that's the, the spectrum that people sit in and struggle with as black bodies. You know, like it, maybe it's not productive. Maybe it doesn't even need to exist as a spectrum. But I do think, okay, like let's talk about identity, right? As like a black person, let's say you're out here and you do want to be queer or you're out here and you do want to like go against the grain of yourself or the expectation of self as Africans. Let's start at, at being Africans first, right? Mm-hmm. And you just, I don't know, you want to go to art school, fam. <laughs> you know, you're not trying to be a doctor, <laughs> lawyer, whatever. <laughs> and now everyone's going on DE, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you art schooling why are you tattooing why are you queering why are you anything that isn't yeah an understanding of who we are yes and I think this is a construct we are constantly battling maybe they don't actually have to exist side by side but I do think it's the space a lot of people like they get to their 20s 30s they have those chats of ish like I really you know, struggled because I was the emo black kid or I was the artist or whatever. So I guess that's why I'm asking that question, you know, like as Africans first. You know what? Outside of the whole world. Yeah. You know? I was a hotep and an emo at the same time in high school. (laughs) That's how you do that. (laughs) How is that possible? But see, that's the beauty. I was was an outward hotep and I was an inward emo. So no one was an emo in my inward life. (laughs) <laughs> you like, that's a star sign nonsense right now give in this box <laughs> the other boxes. <laughs> but i don't know like maybe i'm throwing too much questioning spice out there with no answers no i think that's no, good. I mean, no that's but, good yeah. because i feel like what mm. you're saying like that's for me even talking about just blackness i mean that's what is that what is that that's also still a construct it's not even a construct that we made for ourselves that we were saying that in, in the beginning of the conversation so even thinking about blackness as having these limited things that you're supposed to do or be mm. like anything outside of that is like not black it, it makes no sense at all because it is a construct it is a blank canvas that you can paint and paint off off and I think when I think of existentialism when you get to the point of like maybe everything is meaningless like yeah if everything is meaningless in existentialism then I think maybe you have some options of either being like okay it's all dreadful but then you can be like everything is meaning meaningless so why not make the most of everything you know what I mean and then like I think I would go with that side and I think that is where Ubuntu can play in because you could you could use it as a kind of like a a way forward like it's one way forward like I don't think it's the way or the only way but it is a way you know I like that it is one way not the way because also I think what you're saying as well about like this kind of purity of like protecting whatever perceived blackness is. I think I think there's like historical context, obviously, because, you know, like black blackness, as we understand it, has just been through so much like going from like slavery, global slavery and colonialism and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's always been like the site of a lot of violence as well. So then I also... I, I, I feel like there's just a maybe like a need or feeling that we have to protect blackness no matter what. I mean, it's the same way whiteness mm-hmm. is a construct, but white people, they fight to protect and to save it. I mean, we know why. We know why they do. They have yeah. all, like all the financial reasons too, because, you know, 
they are where the money resides even when it doesn't belong <laughs> to them so the money could also be land but you know but then so, the, yeah and then like so i guess in construct. that in that political space then you would have you would you in order to okay so whatever there's like all the right thing stuff happening now of like right mm. right wing white maleness but then then would you to fight that force would you then have to like create like a like a like use blackness or like um, and blackness in a broad sense you know like even you would have to like then go back to the boxes of like this is what black is so we can fight this other thing I don't know that's such a hard question also because now here's here's something I'm going to throw out we just talked about like whiteness blackness the constructs of of identity based on the color of your skin right Mm -hmm. um and we've just talked about the problematics that are inherent in, in, in lumping us all in and blackness and how we'll protect to fight and save a construct. But on the same hand, whiteness will do the same, right? Whiteness, you know, will band together. Like America's the perfect example, right? Like nobody's Irish or Polish or English descent un- unless you want to be like, oh, look guys, I just did my 23andMe, ancestry.com and I have this <laughs> Scandinavian, rah, 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 but everybody's just American white, right? Until that matters and that's actually kind of like a cool, oh my God, moment, right? And so nobody's ever asking white people to stop fighting for the construct of whiteness, but I think black people are constantly being ex- expected to or asked or questioned about, yeah, but why are we all out here fighting for the construct of blackness, right? And I'm not saying neither is good or bad, but I, I, I think that's a question we sit with a lot as blackness, which is, why do we have to keep fighting to preserve this construct? Whereas whiteness has never asked that, but maybe of recent times it is. And that's why they're like, oh, uh, but, 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 cause like, that's not a question they've had to navigate yet. And I think now we're living in times where they have to navigate the construct. And what is it exactly that they all hold so much like space for with each other to fight for their contracts? Like, apart from, you know, equity and, and systemic racism, they've never had that question kind of come up in conversation, maybe like in a, as a form of collective thought, whereas I think us as blackness are constantly having to go, Ish, but like, you know, there's African blackness and then there's African-American blackness and then there's Caribbean blackness and there's like West African black, like we're constantly thinking about all of those intersections and asking ourselves what we're fighting for. So that's not to answer anything you said, but I, as you were talking, I was like, you know what, look at us, I'm trying to unpack ourselves here and ask about, the construct and fighting for blackness. Do white people have these chats? And so I wanted to just like express that of like, I think it's interesting that for as long as we can remember, it's been part of the dialogue of being incredibly aware of the multiplicity of our blackness and constantly struggling to figure out what is the right amount of fight and for whom. I, I, I also think of this idea of essentializing where you essentialize blackness into a stereotypical experience or a stereotypical like context or understanding of it and I think we do that with whiteness as as well we essentialize it and say it's just this or it's just that but because it's Mm. so insidious and so invisible like is it even able to like condense or compress Um, but I think of the word essentializing and how do we essentialize something in order to like be feel connected to it or feel like we understand it Um, like if I say so-called colored, like there were people that would, they would essentialize it to relate to it. Like, yes, I am colored, identifies that. Mm. That is my, you know, um, but I mean, I also think when you think about identity as political, someone, sometimes it's necessary to essentialize in order to sustain or keep safe or 
protect mm. or look mm. after or, um and that's in the context of humanity i guess but um when do you first notice that you are black you know like when do you first clock it <laughs> i clocked it in high school in zim funny enough really that's yeah first time i clocked it 12 years old going to go write my entrance exam for girls college and realizing because you had to sit in the hall everybody had to sit at a desk and you had to fill in an entrance exam like you didn't just you know change and go to high school you had to mm-hmm. be selected to attend and noticing that the majority of the girls sitting in this room writing this exam were white and like mm. my whole primary school experience had been all black colored Indian girls and I was just like you know I've never been in a room with this many 12 year old white girls before in my life <laughs> and I can count the black people on two hands and of the almost 100 girls in here like I didn't know this many white people lived in Hulawa you're like what <laughs> you know so that was my first experience on the continent but in the construct of private white schools so that's right. interesting we think we're in an intramural space but when you look at the black psyche you should understand that this is not an only black space because part of the package of your desires and your fears and your anxieties are not just coming from yourself and they're, but they're coming from the anti-black world that you are violently placed at. So that was a quote from Dr. Selena Terefe, who is an assistant professor of African-American literature and culture in the Department of English at Tulane University. To know more about her work, click the link in the description. And now we are headed into a discussion about the 2019 film, Us, directed by Jordan Peele. Enjoy! Whoop, whoop. I had such a bad experience. Not a bad experience, really? but it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. I like, know. I literally left the the theater. I was at, um, what's this um, theater next to Michaela's? Uh, the Lady the, Labia. Labia. Yeah. yeah, I was there. And I freaked out. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is on another level. I mean horror movies are not my thing but this one was just like real it was too real for me I was like I can't <laughs> but Key, yeah. I think this is a very important because there's a couple of like I don't know if it's called bad hair or hair or something like that yes there's some other um horror genres that are like I don't want to say biographical horror but the bio horror um because mm. we're doing biomythography all the time now so I want to say the bio horror oh biomythography but um, yeah, I'm, I think there's, there's a very interesting paper I would love to read from you about like, what is real fear and, and um, terror and horror mm. in, um, in the context of, of these films and the way they relate to reality. How the boogeyman, like how, how constructed what, the boogeyman. What is the boogeyman? Because I can tell you for me, it's white women. I'm sorry. That was... <laughs> a new term called Karenology. I was being mad spicy, but that's like my actual. No, like legit, guys. That's my real boogeyman. Like that's my real boogeyman. Like I'm not even ashamed to say it. Like any tokolosh, whatever. That don't scare me for nothing. But like when a white woman cries, that's real fear for me. That's real fear. Yeah, I could write a whole thesis. Just like yeah, no. You paper in Karenology, so you fine yeah pop culture realness guys pop culture pop, realness pop culture is a great way to like go through all these just to go through all of these like theoretical notions I no think. like that's why I I love agree. It. i've been making notes on what we were saying and i was like yep tick 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 in relation to us 
all of this works. And it's a 2019 Jordan Peele directed horror movie, I guess you'd call mm-hmm. it, starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, um, to name but a few. And it's basically about a character called Adelaide um, and her family who deal with um, the doppelgangers, like an invasion, a home invasion, if you will, led by doppelgangers of themselves. And I was thinking about like this idea of identity, right? Um, and I remember I had to rewatch the film for the sake of this. And at the very beginning, the thing that like stuck out to me was how there's like a little, like a title card or like a bit of text that talks about, uh, there's a, like a vast world of tunnels or something that like exists mm-hmm. yeah. um, underground. And I was thinking of like, this idea of like mirrored realities, right? And 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 mirrors and, and how you consider like identity and how we see ourselves. And somebody mentioned this idea of notions of becoming <clears throat> or self-fashioning. I think that was you call earlier. And how the entire time you're watching this movie, um, the idea of Adelaide being a little girl who in the eighties ends up in this hall of mirrors and confronts her doppelganger, her other self her underground shadow self mm-hmm. and that character and her swap places <clears throat> so let's call the doppelganger red because of like the jumpsuit that they wear yeah so adelaide and red swap places and adelaide grows up in the sort of underground space that the doppelganger lives in and red lives in our world or in our space and for the entirety of the movie we're led to believe that Adelaide is the other, is the doppelganger, and Red is human, is like us. And I was really fascinated by this idea of self-fashioning then in that context, because Hmm. Adelaide, you know, I remember there's a scene where she goes to the psychologist and the parents are worried because she won't speak. Mm -hmm. And in Mm -hmm. hindsight, now you know that she won't speak because she didn't know how to, because she was raised in this underground. Mm -hmm. And then she almost, maybe this is, Jordan Peele can tell us, this idea that like she believed and, and decided to construct that she had gone through a childhood trauma and that's why she couldn't speak and she completely blocked out her own birthing if you will and, and fashioned herself into this person whereas Adelaide who's in the underground I think never forgot where she'd come from hence wanting to come back up top and wanting to take back what was hers like I, I should have written it down but there's like this awesome quote where she says something about peaking at 14 or something because I think that was that scene where they do the, the ballet thing mm-hmm. I'm yeah. forget, I remember the ballet recital but like that was an interesting like moment even the way it was shot and filmed where like there was this kind of like relief that was happening as she was pirouetting etc yeah um and so I'm going to just like I just want to think through like a few of like the the symbols in the movie in terms of like markers for identity and a few theories that some people have like kind of come up with online um mm-hmm. And I think the, the proper term for the people that were un- underground were the tethered, right? Yeah. And when you're tethered, you are tied to something. Mm-hmm. And in thinking through the context of our chat and identity, you know, Uko, when you talked about Moloni and this thing of being tied to many people or being part of a community, or even Ubuntu, where like we feel like we're connected mm-hmm. and we're tied to each other. Um, and I think that's something we can relate to, but then also with this idea of the scissors throughout the movie and wanting to cut those ties. Like I think when the doppels were coming up there to sort of kill, you know, or they felt the urge to kill their above ground counterparts. Mm-hmm. This idea of, you know, maybe this is where the existentialism comes in, you know, wanting to like remove ourselves from 
a tethered version of our identities or a collective version of identities, be it Africanist, be it Ubuntu, be it just black identity in terms of perception. I really think those two things kind of resonated. Um, another theory that was really interesting was the jumpsuits. They all wear these jumpsuits and the theory that came up was, you know, being underground in these jumpsuits, kind of looking like working people. <clears throat> One of the theories was the tethered were created because it never explains in the movie how they came to be there. But this notion of like underground tunnels, the, the clothes they wear, speaking to like a working class. Yeah. Um, maybe tapping into slavery, tapping into um, labor. Um, what about, and what being about forgotten. prison as well, Presh? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. Like it could come through like incarceration. Incarceration. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess in relation to the contemporary and everything that Jordan Peele does, which speaks back to blackness, mm-hmm. you know, like that is a plight of the black body is, is, is mass incarceration in different forms. Mm-hmm. What about like the scissors, et cetera, all of that, like the classroom scenario. It, it actually made me think of like slave labor in terms of like in the modern day, you know, sweatshops and how in India you have all these people making clothes for next yeah. to nothing, but you never get to see them. Basically these unseen people who create the worlds we get to enjoy up here potentially. And I felt like mm, on, yeah. on all those levels, it taps so strongly into, you know, versions of identity. And actually I want to find this, actually, I wrote this down. Do you guys remember that at the beginning when she does come across the hall of mirrors, she walks past a guy Actually, no, not her, but in the adult self, when she, she goes to look for her son, Lupita Nyong'o's character, and she yeah, sees a guy yeah. with um, Jeremiah 11, 11. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked up that scripture. I'm going to read it to you guys. Mm-hmm. It says, God grants people land on the condition that they keep their covenant with him, but when they revert to the sins of their ancestors, they face divine retribution. Therefore, mm-hmm. the Lord says, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. And I thought that was like really interesting because obviously me, yeah, I always go back to land, but this idea of, of this notion of like divine retribution, you know, and, and these, do- these doppels are coming up and they are wanting to untether themselves. Mm. Um, and I remember like in the one bit that stuck out to me, Lupita asks or, or, or read as Adelaide asks, what are you people? Not who are you people, mm. but what are you? It's like, an interesting question to me when you think about like I think what he was doing in the movie Jordan Peele was speaking about like the Mer- American construct of identity right like in the era of Trump fearing the immigrant fearing the working class fearing blackness um, you know even the fact that it's called us it's kind of like we are connected to this thing that we are somehow afraid of and you're in othering mm-hmm. or in um and not wanting to to accept something different, you know? And yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. Because maybe like, you know, you were saying how it really scared you. Maybe was, we scare ourselves, hey? Us as people, yeah. we're so subconsciously yeah. of how we mm-hmm. are the horror. Mm-hmm. But all I know is I appreciate narratives that center Black people. Yeah, no, definitely. And I love that it was like a horror genre because I was like, there are not a lot of, I don't think there are a lot of like horror genres that do that. I mean, films. I mean, horror films. That's all, folks. Yep. Coming it's with the, the Looney Tunes. I'm not going to do... No. Okay, in your heads, all of you that are listening right now, do you remember Looney Tunes, that character, the pig, who would do that sound effect and say, that's all, folks? Insert that here. You're but not going to do it? I'm not going to do it. Okay, well, I tried, folks, so... We have to maintain some level of, like, art professionality here, so... Anyway. No art hoary here. 
Yeah. Goodbye, folks. Enjoy your days. Bye. Bye.